0: Clowns, yeah, that's what we've got today. I I don't know why I agreed to do this one. Always read the fine print in a contract, kiddos. Oh, man, I don't want to do this one. Dang it, dang it, dang it. All right, like a Band-Aid, like a Band-Aid. We'll rip it off quick and talk about creepy and killer clowns. About bad things. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, kiddos. I wish I had a fun clown voice I could do this in. Ah, uh, that's right, clowns. I hope everybody's doing well. You probably won't be after this episode, and I apologize for it. But we're gonna do this, okay? We're gonna do this. Now, I do need to take care of some business first. Two things. You know, I don't normally bore y'all with this, but these are kind of important. First of all, I want to ask a favor from everyone. An online pal of mine by the name of Jason Walker is raising money for the Children's Hospital at the University of Virginia because they provided some seriously important care to both Jason when he was a tot and then again to his son. And so in honor of all the great work they do, Jason does a fundraiser each and every year as a way to say thank you. His goal is to raise $980, an amount based off of his son's birthday. And I'd really love it if we could come together and help Jason just smash through that goal this year. I know 2020 has been a tough year for everyone, but if you're in the fortunate position where you can throw an extra 10 or 25 bucks Jason's way, I know he would be eternally grateful. He's raising this money through Extra Life. You may have heard of it. If you haven't, it's an organization uh, that does fundraisers, and it's usually bent around gaming. Uh, What they're doing right now is folks are signing up to do a fundraiser, and in exchange, they will stream games that they play on Twitch for 24 hours as part of their fundraising efforts. So, you even get to watch Jason play his game of choice, should you wish to, and that game is Legendary Marvel, which is an awesomely fun board game, if you like superheroes. I'll post a link to his Extra Life page in the show notes, and I'm sure I'll throw it around on social media a fair amount this week, but if you just Google Jason Walker Extra Life, it should be the first result that pops up. The streaming 24-hour weekend is from November 6th through the 8th, but that's also when the phone fundraiser ends. So please don't wait too long to help out this cause. And if you're not in a position where you can contribute, that's fine. I understand just, again, I'd ask if you could share this with a friend or two. Um, you know, Raising money for a hospital with everything that's going on in the world just seems like a noble effort we can get behind. Second bit of news, we have to announce the winner of our last giveaway. Everybody give it up for the Quite Unusual Podcast. This amazing piece of art, which you will start seeing on social media, will be theirs to hang in their haunted attic. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, it's truly on my list of must-listens, so go give them a chance. I'm glad two very cool ladies won it. And with that, I'm done doing giveaways. I can't afford you people anymore. My kids have learned to do without water this month. But I'm glad I can make everybody else happy. So to make up for what I've given, I'm going to force you all to listen to an episode about clowns. So, who here suffers from colorophobia? What's that? It's the fear of clowns, of course. Now, remember, the phobia is something that, you know, impacts your ability to live a normal life. So while we all can agree that clowns are just horrible, only about 8% of the world has this actual phobia. It's believed most people find clowns to be unsettling. I would say all. Their makeup hides the person's identity. It distorts what emotions they're feeling. They've got this fake smile painted on their face, coupled with oversized eyebrows. It creates this exaggerated expression that the human brain perceives as human, but just slightly off. It's like an uncanny valley situation. And then you throw on top of that that clowns just act fat poop crazy as part of the shtick. You know, they wear crazy, oversized, brightly colored clothing. And they act somewhere between unpredictable and mischievous. Is that a bucket of water they're about to throw on you? Or is it going to be full of glitter or will they even throw the bucket? Why do they torture us this way? Here's a fun fact for you. A poll in 2016 found that Americans are more afraid of clowns than they are of another terrorist attack or dying. We would rather die than deal with a clown and their right to make that choice. Anything to avoid these soulless creatures born of the Devil's Nightmares. Even the King of Horror himself, Stephen King, stated he selected the monstrous villain in IT to be a clown because, quote, clowns are scary. There's just no way around that. I mean, when you think of clowns, what pops to mind? I know it's not the quote-unquote friendly clowns like Ronald McDonald or Bozo, Maybe you're better adjusted than I am and you think of, you know, Krusty the Clown or the Joker or if you're old enough, Homie the Clown. Those kind of fall more into the neutral territory on the fear scale. But no, I suspect most of y'all fall where I do. You think of Pennywise or Twisty or that dang clown doll from Poltergeist that still haunts me To this day, why did my parents let me watch that movie? All right, now before we jump in, in all seriousness, I do want to warn that two of our stories deal with some degree of sexual abuse. I've watered it down a lot, but I don't want anybody to be unpleasantly surprised and have their day ruined even worse by clowns. We will begin our tour of creepy clowns with the ultimate killer clown, John Wayne Gacy. Now we're going to do a shallow dive here. This story is much more complicated than we're going to do justice to it. So if you're interested in learning more, there are a ton of books and podcasts and documentaries and all that sort of stuff out there in the world. Or, if you complain loudly enough, I'll do an episode on this crazy dude. Now, Gacy's considered among the worst serial killers in U.S. history. He took the lives of 33 young men, most of whom he also raped. He was arrested in 1978 and sentenced to death in March of 1980. His execution occurred on May tenth, 1994, at the age of 52. Now, Gacy was brought up in a tough household. He was abused pretty extensively by his father during his childhood. He had some health issues and was a bit of a husky child. Uh, his father didn't respect him at all, didn't understand his situation, and would call him names like a sissy. He would beat him all the time, and he predicted he would, quote, probably grow up queer, unquote. So, he wasn't raised by Dad of the Year material. Now, despite this, at least to the outside world, Gacy seemed to grow up into a normal young man. He actually even kind of became pretty darn successful as a businessman. He married and his father-in-law put him in charge of managing several KFC franchises that he owned throughout Iowa. And he was paid handsomely for that. In today's dollars, it would be about $115,000 per year, plus a share of the profits. Now, Gacy used his position to flirt with his male teenage employees, which is a little frowned upon. Part of his persona, too, Gacy was a respected member of the Waterloo J.C.s. Now, the J.C.s. for those who are not in the know, are a civic group that's focused on helping develop business and management skills in young adults. Now, he just happened to find a chapter that, in addition to doing this, was also really, really, really into prostitution, pornography, and drug use. Now, Gacy's actual first victim was a fellow J.C.'s member's son. That is tricky to say. A fellow by the name of Donald Voorhees. Now, fortunately, considering what the future holds, the son's experience was limited to sodomy, a charge that Gacy was eventually found guilty of and served time for. During his time in prison, he was diagnosed by two psychiatrists as having antisocial personality disorder, and they reported that he would not respond to any treatment, and if he was released— he would experience repeated conflicts with society. Yet, this did not stop the prison system from granting him parole after less than two years into his 10-year sentence. After doing this time, Gacy moved back in with his mother in Chicago. His dad had died while he was in prison, and he established a construction firm called PDM Contractors in 1971. Seven years later, the company was earning over $200,000 per year. I think that's just shy of a million dollars per year in today's money. While living in Chicago, he discovered the Jolly Joker Clown Club. This club would work fundraisers, participate in parades, visit sick children in the hospital to encourage a rapid embrace of death. I I mean, to, to cheer them up, right? I think um Gacy created his own clown clothes and did his own makeup style and he did this for not one but for two clowns he had pogo the clown that was his persona when he worked with the jolly jokers and then there was patches the clown he was more serious and performed only at his company's events and you know kind of a red flag Gacy was cool with just kind of Finishing up a performance, driving to a bar and having some beer in full-on clown attire. I, I think I'd have to leave a bar if a clown came in. All right. Uh, fun fact. We're just going to throw in in the middle here. Did you know that clowns have to register their look to ensure that no two clowns are identical? And they do this by sending in a photograph, which is then painted on an egg and stored that way. They probably used the blood of sacrificed animals or something for the painting. Now, I couldn't confirm if Gacy was or still is registered with the proper clown authorities. Not a rabbit hole I wanted to go down. But back to the story. Through his PDM company, Gacy hired lots and lots of laborers. As you would expect. Not really a career path that offers stability. And most of those employees were, guess what? Young men. High school teenage boys. So, of course, Gacy naturally tried to have sex with every single one of them. Okay, well, that may be an exaggeration, but if it is, it's only a slight one. He used all sorts of tricks. Liquor, drugs, pornography, threats, favors, whatever he could do to pursue his little kink here. Now... As we mentioned, he eventually got into the murdering game and he was smart enough not to do that to his workforce. Instead, he would troll Greyhound bus stations, a place known as Bug Out Square, where kind of hippies and those sorts would hang out, or simply homeless teens that were living on the streets. He'd promise them booze, a nice place to sleep, food, whatever he could to get them in the car. Though, he was not above just freaking kidnapping a kid. And he even carried around a fake sheriff's badge to trick young men to get into his car. So, once he had his uh, date for the evening, his evenings would usually follow the same pattern. He'd get the young man drunk or high, earn their trust through some friendly banter, then offer to show him a magic trick that he learned while clowning. See, Gacy would handcuff himself with his hands behind his back and then free himself, much to his single audience member's astonishment. Now, the trick that Gacy used was he had the key hidden in his sleeve. So then he said, I'll teach you how to do this trick to his intended victim. He'd handcuff him, Get them ready and when they struggled and couldn't figure it out, Gacy would say, quote, the trick is you have to have the key. This was a gag he would use at parties, but marked the beginning of his rape and torture of his victims. He would have these evenings go on for several hours and he would do horrible things to these victims his sessions would end via what he called his famous rope trick, where he would tie a rope around the victim's neck and then use a hammer to slowly turn the rope and thus slowly choking the young man to death. Once it was reported that he did so while repeating the 23rd Psalm, which is something even Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction would find to be a little messed up. As with all serial killers, at least we hope, Gacy eventually messed up and the police became suspicious of his connection with the missing teen. He tried to lie his way out of it, but ended up getting caught. Police were able to get a search warrant on the basis that they feared Gacy's last victim, a fellow by the name of Robert Peist, was being held against his will in Gacy's house. Quick point of law here. So the police got a search warrant to look for this kid. Search warrants are limited to the particular thing you are searching for, which means here we're looking for a human body. This would not give the police authority to go through dresser drawers or kitchen cabinets or anywhere where you wouldn't expect to find a body. But still, even with this limitation, police found some crazy stuff that was either in plain sight or in areas where a body could be found. So, here's a short list of some of the more interesting things they found. Several police badges, several handcuffs, books on homosexuality, a 39-inch 2x4 with holes drilled in at each end, several driver's licenses not in Gacy's name, a 1975 high school ring with engraved initials that did not match Gacy's three feet of nylon rope and several pairs of underwear that were way too small to fit Gacy. Police immediately began intense surveillance on Gacy. Say what you want about Gacy, but the dude was kind of smooth. Uh, in his typical style, he'd, confront the officers. He'd walk up to them and start chatting with them, buy them coffee, uh, invite them in to eat dinner. He knew that they would never arrest him for something minor and silly, so he would kind of taunt them by smoking marijuana on his front steps, or if they were tailing him while he was driving, he would run red lights and silly things like that. Now, while doing their investigation, police learned that not long before... He became a target. Gacy sold a vehicle he used to drive to a former employee. The police received permission from that employee to search that car and found several different human hairs in the trunk and a cadaver dog indicated that there had been a dead body in the front seat at some point in time. During one of their meals with Gacy, police asked him about his clowning activities and during the conversation, Gacy had the gall to make the remark, you know, clowns can get away with murder. So police eventually hit pay dirt. During one of their visits to Gacy, one of the odd officers noticed a weird smell coming from the vents in Gacy's house. Weird in the way that, say, a rotting corpse would smell. Police started talking to some workers and learned that Gacy would sometimes have them dig holes in his crawl space underneath his house and then fill it with lime. But they would never know what they were digging the hole for. He always had some different excuse that never made sense. And he would stand there and monitor their work to make sure they dug in just the right spot. An employee, for some reason, agreed to sneak into his house and check out the crawl space. He didn't find anything, but he made the mistake of leaving a muddy footprint. Gacy found that footprint and freaked out. I mean, he, like, broke for some reason at this point. And he went to go see his lawyers. He arrived, and they said he looked disheveled and just began confessing everything to them. He, he requested something to drink, so they gave him some whiskey, and apparently he was just down in that bottle as he talked. And he drank so much, he ended up passing out. However, before he passed out, he admitted that he had murdered dozens of boys and had at times passed out and woke up to find dead bodies in his bathroom or in his bedroom. So while he was passed out in their office, uh, his lawyers decided that uh, Gacy probably needed to speak to a psychiatrist. When he woke up from his liquor-fueled slumber a few hours later, Gacy denied making any sort of confession, got very angry with his lawyers, and stormed out saying he was late for work. He absolutely refused to visit the psychiatrist. While this was going on, police obtained a search warrant to look for bodies in the crawl space. Gacy delayed the officers a bit by disconnecting a sump pump, which caused the crawl space to fill with water. Of course, the police just plugged the sump pump back in, thwarting the genius move by Gacy. When they finally got to digging, almost immediately they found a human arm bone and two lower leg bones. An evidence tech on the scene said, quote, I think this place is full of kids. And he was right. 26 bodies were found in the crawlspace. And during his subsequent confession, Gacy identified the location of seven more bodies in the Des River. Uh, And he had dumped them there because he had just run out of room in his crawlspace. Now just imagine for a moment if those two prison psychiatrists had been listened to at the beginning of the story. If Gacy had served his full term I don't know that we can say affirmatively that lives would have been saved, but it certainly would have delayed his ability to start doing these crimes. And at least these specific victims would not have lost their lives. Okay, next we move on to Paul Carlock. He was a model citizen of Springfield, Illinois. He was a retired police officer-turned-minister who had a long history of helping people. He had volunteered as a youth counselor and even served as a volunteer for the Big Brothers organization. He spent time entertaining kids as a magician and, yeah, also a clown. Clutzo the Clown, to be specific. During his 20-plus years in law enforcement, Carlock spent over half his career working in positions focusing on youthful offenders. He did something like three years as a juvenile counselor in the Illinois Department of Corrections, four years as a youth division detective, four years in the Illinois Department of Public Health in the Child Health Division, and just a significant number of years as the Grandview Police Department's only juvenile officer. Carlack loved kids and wanted to protect them, he said. He even gained a bit of press for writing a fiery letter to the State Journal Register newspaper in 1986 to complain about a cartoon. In that letter, he complained that, quote, too much smut has been poured into the minds of Americans. And during his law enforcement career, he had, quote, read many case histories in which pornographic materials played an overwhelming role in the events that had left lives shattered and homes broken. So why do we have Kletzo the Clown on this episode? Well, that's a fair question. It happens that in June of 2007, he was detained by immigration officials after returning from a trip to the Philippines. When asked why he traveled to the Philippines, he claimed that it was to visit the House of Joy Orphanage to entertain those poor neglected children. Well, another legal tip for y'all. If you travel to the Philippines and admit to having contact with children while there, that raises a huge red flag to law enforcement because Philippines is one of, if not the hottest spot, for child sex tourism. So the immigration officers asked Carlock for permission to search his computer and his digital camera. And the former police officer said yes. When he knows... 100% not to do that. So guess what's found on his computer? A whole mess of pictures of naked young boys. When questioned about these horrible images, Carlock claimed, look, hey, I was taking pictures of the horrible conditions, and my intent was to edit the images so I could show them to my congregation in an effort to raise money to help out this orphanage. Okay, fine, let's let's just believe him for a second. That means he performed as a clown to a room full of naked kids? I mean, isn't being naked in front of a clown just a huge slice from the horror salami? So when police started poking around on his computer a bit more, they discovered that he had indeed been editing the images... ...to zoom in on certain parts of the children's anatomy. He also had a program on his computer... ...again, this was 2007, so it was a program, not an app... ...called Evidence Eliminator. And the program claimed it could delete anything from a hard drive so well... ...that even police wouldn't be able to recover it. Now, Carlock claimed ignorance saying he had a former co-worker who claimed it did a good job removing files and programs that you no longer needed. Again, this coming from the lips of a former police officer. Police called over to the Philippines and had local law enforcement there interview some of the children at the House of Joy, and three of them said Carlock had inappropriately touched them. When his house was searched, of course... Police found 21 pornographic movies featuring children. When police interviewed Carlock's little brother from the Big Brothers program, a six-year-old boy, they were relieved to find out that he had never been touched or messed with in any appropriate way. However, the child did turn over two gifts that Carlock had given to him. Both were DVDs. One was of a fishing trip the two had gone on. The other is what you imagine. Carlock was arrested and charged with sex tourism and multiple, multiple, multiple counts of possessing child pornography. Sadly, Carlock died in police custody before he could go to trial. I say sadly because that means he will never officially be found guilty of these charges Even more sadly, Carlock's family sued the jail and apparently received a settlement because Carlock died shortly after he was beaten and tased by jailers when he became non-cooperative. Look, as you know, I did criminal defense, okay? And I've got really strong opinions about how people are treated in jail. I think it's disgusting how so many jailers correction officers members of law enforcement members of the community think that prisoners are subhuman um but screw this guy i kind of hope he was tortured both day and night by the guards and the inmates every hour of his miserable life that he was in jail so all that he knew was pain and torment in his final few months of life Okay, now we're going to hop across the pond, as those English folks say, except we're going to France. I don't know if that phrase applies when you go to France. Nevertheless, we're in France. So you remember a few years ago when we had that wave of the creepy clown stories um, that just kind of popped up in the United States? It was mostly just college kids doing pranks or I think even had some independent movie producers trying to create buzz for their next. Terrible horror movie. But there weren't really any true reports of violence or anything like that. It was just creepy clowns acting creepy. So France was a little bit different. These clowns were a touch more bloodthirsty. The phenomenon really began around October of 2014. A little bit ironic because Halloween's apparently never really caught on in France from what I understand... No one's ever invited me to their mansion in France during the fall, so I can't judge whether this is true or not. If one of y'all want to do that for research purposes for me, I would appreciate it. But one of the earliest incidents involved a teen who was arrested after dressing up as a clown and chasing multiple other miners with a wooden sword. For whatever reason, this just caught on social media and kind of pulled the trend that was going on in the U.S. and the U.K. down into France. In response to this incident, you had other teens who began arming themselves and forming anti-clown vigilante squads. Now, police caught on pretty quick that this, this was not good. This was going to be a problem. And so they instantly stepped in and tried to crack down on the situation. But things didn't get better. There was a report of a gang of 14 teenagers, all dressed as clowns, who showed up to a school wielding baseball bats, knives, hammers, and pistols. But school had let out for the day, and I think they just did some vandalism. A 35-year-old man was assaulted by three men dressed as clowns who beat him with a metal rod and robbed him. A woman called police after she was attacked by two clowns, one of whom was carrying an axe, and she was only able to escape when a neighbor came to her aid and chased the two clowns off with a baseball bat. One of the clowns was found about an hour later, still in his makeup and carrying the axe. It turned out the axe was a rubber axe. Thank God for that. There was another incident where about a dozen people dressed up in the infamous Guy Fawkes mask. Uh, You may know the mask from the anonymous hacker groups, but uh, and attacked several youths on public transportation and stole their cell phones. A Facebook page was created purporting to be the kind of social headquarters for a planned raid of attack clowns who would be coming to Dijon at the end of October. Fortunately, no such attack occurred, but it caused residents to be on edge and the police sent a lot of manpower and extra resources to the area. So needless to say, law enforcement was on edge. The citizens were on edge. Clowns started being reported on a daily basis outside of schools, outside of bars, in the streets, in the parks, all sorts of public places. Most of them were just kids wanting to get a rise out of their neighbors, but, you know, police were in a position where they had to take these calls seriously after what had been going on. Now, because the number of clown reports kept rising, the number of vigilante groups also kept rising. They generally called themselves clown hunters, which, how this is not a TV show yet, I cannot begin to grasp. But these bands of citizens would roam their towns and villages looking to root out clowns. Of course, they were often armed. Multiple, multiple, multiple Facebook and other social media groups sprung up practically overnight, both on the clown side and the anti-clown side, to kind of coordinate their efforts in different regions of the country. So then the French police were kind of forced to take a no tolerance stance, declaring that all people dressed as clowns or all groups of people hunting clowns who were armed would immediately be arrested, no questions asked. I mean, this is where the clown hunters TV show would have been a godsend, right? But this is what happened. And, you know, in addition to that, police began actively monitoring social media to try to ferret out any plans before there could be any real tussles. And things got so bad that towns began banning the wearing of clown costumes period by anybody over the age of 12. The World Clown Association, a real thing, condemned the action of these scary clowns, saying that they were not real clowns. They were taking someone innocent and wholesome and perverting it to create fear. Okay, with all due respect to the WCA, there was no perversion involved to make the clown scary. Clowns are just scary. Fortunately, it seems like the phenomenon did not last very long in France, but it no doubt left a whimsically painted scar in the minds of many residents. So that's our episode for today. To be fair, to be fair, since 1972, when Gacy started his killings, clowns have accounted for just 0.0088% of all homicides in the United States. At least that we know of. You know, Who knows how many killers have tried their hand at being a clown and, and things have gone wackadoo. Interesting fact, doctors have murdered twice as many people as clowns. Not like medical error, like true homicide, kill, murder, all that. So does that mean we should be terrified of doctors? Yes. Oh, God, yes. It's scary going to the doctor, too. What are you talking about? And I would say that we need legislation passed in all countries of the world that should any doctor go all patch atoms on us, we get to shoot him right there on the spot. It's too dangerous a mixture. While we're on it, shout out to my sister. She's an infectious disease doctor and better not be a freaking clown. There are also two unsolved murders where the killer was dressed as a clown that I really wanted to talk about, but there just really wasn't a lot of information. Um, One was when a clown shot and killed a Mrs. Warlene Warren. When she answered the door, a clown was there, shot her, walked off. The second was when a drug kingpin, Francisco Rafael Arriendo Felix, was gunned down on his birthday by a clown who was wearing a pink wig. That was the only description provided. Clown and pink wig. So. All right, well, we've, we've been on quite a journey today. I pray you didn't listen to this episode at bedtime. You know, speaking for Brad... Give me aliens or cryptids or serial killers. I can handle that. But clowns? No, that's just something that's not right in this world. If you would like more information on clowns, you need to check yourself into a jail or a padded room. If you refuse to take my advice, then go check out a podcast that I enjoy called Noteville. Their October 4th episode is about clowns as well. They go into different stories for the most part than what we've covered here. So if you just need more of a fix, I pray for your soul, but go check out Nopeville. (sighs) All right. So speaking at the end of time, because anytime when you're talking about clowns, you know, you're getting close to the apocalypse. We need to do our palate cleanser. From our resident jester, Mr. Eli. Yesterday, a clown opened a door for me. It was such a nice gesture. Get it? He wanted to do a clown joke, which I get. Um, but you know, well done, Eli. Good wordplay. Good word. Okay, I'm. I'm just gonna end it here. I think I'm gonna go take a Xanax and um, hope to fall asleep quickly. As a reminder to all of you SNL fans, Gene Francisco Franco is still dead. Right out. Thank you for listening to Killing, Missing, Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.